Hey everyone, Bill here with the second half of our schedule preview podcast series. A few weeks ago, we released the first half, which looked at Penn State's games against Pitt, Illinois, Ohio State, and Michigan State. This week, we are going to look at the second half of Penn State's schedule with its games against Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin, as for the last two games in the schedule. Uh, we couldn't get anyone from Maryland because of the uncertainty surrounding the program, and we couldn't get anyone from Rutgers for reasons that should be obvious if you have ever listened to this podcast. Uh, this is a little bit old. We recorded these a few weeks ago. There's been a little bit of an update regarding Indiana and Michigan, I believe, but regardless, I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy, and I hope you're all ready for Penn State football this weekend, because Ward knows I am. So yeah, let's dive in. All right, so our first uh, podcast, mini podcast for the second half of Penn State's season starts off looking at the Nittany Lions' October 20th trip to the University of Indiana to take on the Hoosiers. And of course, Indiana University. Indiana University, (laughs) University of Indiana, who cares? Uh, All that matters. I do. I will leave this podcast. uh, Just just so y'all know, we got Kyle Swick from our sister site. Uh, those lunatics over at Crimson Quarry here. Is, is this Bill, one of those? Hello. Is this one of those things where, like, every once in a while, like, you'll see uh, what's the school is? Is Kansas the one that like? It's one of them, either Kansas or Kentucky. Where it's Kansas? Are you talking about Kansas. how it's how it's uh, the University of Kansas, but they call yes, themselves but they KU. call it they call it KU, and the graphic is always KU. And yeah, every, every time no I see sense. that, I have to like triple check that I have it right. Even when I'm talking about it, like I just did right there, I had to like triple check that I had it right. But otherwise, University of Indiana, Kyle Swick, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, man? Uh, Not too bad. Not too bad. Just uh, lo- looking at this Indiana Hoosiers football team, and I'm a little bit upset because for the longest time, the uh, reputation that Indiana had was chaos team. Uh, and it kind of seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, now with that Tom Allen is at the helm, that chaos team thing, it might not be Indiana's identity anymore. Now it's just, uh, we're going to smother you on defense. We're going to play really ugly football, and it's not going to be especially, uh, not it, it's purposely not going to be especially crazy. So there's a couple, uh, there's a couple schools of thought there. Um, there's definitely people that, and I can, and I can totally understand like that viewpoint, but having the, uh, the great honor of watching IU up close week in and week out, um, the essential elements of the the foundation of the chaos team is still very much there. Uh, how they go about creating that chaos and putting us all through hell once a week uh, throughout the fall is a little different than it was under Kevin Wilson. But there's nothing like fundamentally different. Uh, they're still they still find themselves, uh, you know, either a score up or a score down against really good teams late in the game. Um, it's They're no longer in these back-and-forth, like, wacky offensive affairs uh, that they find themselves in uh, consistently under Kevin Wilson, but they're still able to get up for the big games uh, and do just enough to get us all very excited until they uh, blow it in some sort of spectacular fashion. Uh, probably the most popular iteration of this uh, this past season, uh, I guess you could kind of take your pick depending on how uh, how good you uh, how high how high you were on Michigan State um, this previous year. But uh, they, I mean, I guess they did go to overtime against Michigan, 
they were leading Ohio State in the third quarter uh, to open the season before getting blown out uh, in the fourth quarter in a game w- which uh, Richard Lego uh, absolutely danced all over a uh, secondary full of uh, NFL players. So the uh, exactly how they go about it is a little different than it was under Kevin Wilson, but make no mistake, like this is still the like crazy, wacky, depressing, uh, exhilarating. Uh, team that they have been for the past few years. So now instead of losing games 55 to 49, they're losing them 24 to 17 days. That's, that's exactly, that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yes. So, Except it's, it's that, that would almost be like a little too conventional. Like they, they're, they're going to start losing games like 22 to 20 because they're going to fumble the ball and like recover it in their own end zone uh, <laughs> for like a safety as time expires or something along those lines. And, uh, how mad can you even be if that happens? Because that's just like, ah, oh, they're living the brand to the fullest there's, extent. So. I don't, I, I say this as cautiously as possible, I don't think there's anything Indiana football can do to hurt me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's coming probably off more of a, as a dare than anything. So when IU does something just spectacularly stupid, and this game's a great candidate for it, uh, Indiana Penn State has a pretty uh, um, storied history of, of just abject silliness and, uh, Going back to uh, um, last year's game was was rather uneventful, but uh, but still, IU showed some pluckiness there. But you know, the year before, they definitely had put uh, Penn State on the ropes, and uh, when they were in Bloomington, and of course, you've got the infamous punt tracker game from a few years ago, yeah. um, and kind of going all the way back to one of my memory freshman year in two thousand seven. Um, I think it was two thousand seven. It might have been two thousand eight. Uh, but uh, Penn State was our homecoming game, and believe we were driving uh, in an effort to uh, to either tie or take the lead. And uh, Kellen Lewis got hit on a uh, on a blindside. Uh, believe it was a defensive back blitz. Was spun around several times, and then proceeded to uh, not fumble. Would be giving it too much credit. He literally threw the ball behind him. Hell yeah! Uh, I believe like twenty or twenty five yards down the field. Um, and Penn State recovered. I, I think it was like first and goal from the five uh, on a play that started uh, close to midfield. So that, yep, that all that all sounds <laughs> par for the course, I suppose. But uh, the thing with Indiana that I'm 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 interested in, and I'm glad we have you here to like kind of give us just the general pulse of the program because with you know Kevin Wilson was out, and that those teams had such an identity based around uh, getting into shootouts and getting into high-scoring games. Now it seems like uh, Tom Allen, he he doesn't like that. He likes this more conservative, defensive-minded approach to football. But even... Even if it's going to be five and seven, six and six, seven and five, it, it's going to be different because of how they get to that point. What's kind of the pulse of Indiana football? Is there a sense that like going into his second year, Tom Allen has to start showing improvement, or is it kind of you know the nihilistic approach of we're Indiana football, whatever, whatever happens, happens? So I think one of the biggest issues with uh, with Tom Allen, who I who overall I'm I'm still pretty you know the first year didn't do anything to. Uh, uh, to change my mind as far as what I think of Tom Allen as a uh, as a coach, but I, I do think his probably his biggest weakness, and this isn't all that surprising for a guy that uh, that doesn't have a lot of coaching experience, um, you know, in top jobs and has come from the defensive side of the ball. He's really struggling 
for an identity on offense and kind of IU will do one thing that makes you think, Oh, this, we're going to be like this team. And then they'll do another thing that's completely the opposite. You know, you hire a guy like Mike DeBoard and, um, and I could talk for hours upon hours about, uh, what that means and what it certainly doesn't mean. <laughs> and, uh, that kind of leads one to believe it's like, okay, they're going to, uh, you know, there's going to be a more conventional looking offense. Uh, you look, a lot of people want to point to Mike DeBoard's stretch run under Tennessee, um, with Josh Dobbs when they basically spent two months as the best offense in the country, uh, which is all fine and great. Uh, but the vast majority of, uh, Mike DeBoard's catalog is, is a conservative, uh, sort of off tackle run scheme. Like we're going to get down and dirty. Um, and, and all that good stuff, like just good old fashioned grit ball. And, uh, but then, and you say, okay, that's fine. But then you come out, uh, you you still the offense looked really similar to how it looked under Kevin Wilson uh, last year most of the time, and they certainly were uh, remained one of the fastest teams pace wise in the country uh, to the offense's detriment, in my opinion. Uh, and there was a you know Lego started as the quarterback who's about as standard of a drop back passer as you're ever going to get. Um, you know there's there's no dual threat there. There's uh, <laughs> there's uh that's almost puts it almost too kindly but uh that guy's not moving uh off his spot and if he's moved off of his spot uh it's probably going to end in disaster and so but with that said they bring in peyton ramsey who's got a little bit more wiggle back there and then seem to target quarterbacks in the offseason uh that can really move and so that's uh you look at uh brandon dawkins the transfer from uh from Arizona, um, certainly much more of a of a runner than a thrower um, through his uh, through his career, and then they and then the freshman from Florida. The uh, I'm going to just put out there that he was that he had a Florida State offer because it uh, <laughs> it really upsets Florida State fans who, for whatever reason, desperately needed to tell us that uh, uh, that it was a wasn't a committable a, a, offer. It wasn't a committable op- It wasn't a committable offer, and. Uh, um, and that's Mike Penix slash Mike Penix. Uh, oh, good it wouldn't be an IU football season if we weren't debating how to pronounce the quarterback's last name. We went through this with Lego Lagow uh, the last couple of years, and now it'll be Penix Penix until the end of time. And so IU really needs to figure out offensively who they're going to be and then be that team. Uh, they're not going to get because there's there's not going to be any improvement until they make a until they sort of sort of draw this firm line like this is who we are as an offense, um, and I just think they've they've struggled and it's only been a year, uh, and certainly a lot of that blame can fall on Mike DeBoard, um, and some of it has to fall on Tom Allen. It's just we don't know what we are, and until we figure that out, um, I, I think IU is going to struggle. So. so- Real quick, when it comes to the quarterback battle, who's the guy that uh, is believed to have the leg up right now, and who do you think ultimately wins that job? And then who are the players that are going to kind of make life easier on uh, whomever ends up starting under center for the Hoosiers? So uh, based on what I've heard out of uh, out of practice, it, it certainly sounds like uh, the season's going to open with Ramsey as a starter, um, and that's probably just going to go to him strictly because of his – uh, experience in the system. He's going his his competition is effectively a a transfer uh, 
that came in in the summer and then a true freshman. So, um, so he's going to have a huge leg up as far as just being a guy like I played big 10 ball for this team for a year. Um, and, and you guys haven't, uh, ultimately the future of the team is, is Penix and the, the sooner he can sort of be, uh, incorporated into the team, the better IU is going to be, uh, He's one of the most talented uh, quarterbacks to sign for the Hoosiers. Um, he's he's kind of got everything you look for in the sort of modern day college football uh, quarterback. He's he's got good size. He's got good legs. He's got good. Uh, uh, he's got you know live arm, all that good stuff. He's kind of everything. He checks all the boxes, so to speak. And so, the sooner he can sort of assume those reins, the better. I kind of wondering at this point seeing the quarterback situation for what it is, is um, kind of what drew Brandon Dawkins to Bloomington. Uh, because I think Brandon Dawkins is a immensely talented quarterback uh, who lost his job to a guy who's probably going to win the Heisman this year. And I can't imagine that he would have, that he would, that he would have selected a school to play out, to kind of play the string out that he wasn't basically going to be guaranteed a starting position. Um, and it, it certainly looks like, uh, from what we've been talking about that th- this guy, he's not even, he's not even second. He's third on the depth chart. It, if it's not, if it's not Ramsey, it's going to be Penix. Uh, and if it's not Penix, then it goes to Dawkins. So I don't know if maybe he's considering like a position change or something like that. Uh, but it does seem like he probably would have been better served, uh, going to, going to a program where he was going to get a chance, a better chance to start again. I, I think he's a good player and I think IU would be just fine if he, if he does start. Um, but I'm not, but I'm not seeing anything to suggest that that's going to happen. And, uh, what about for the rest of the offense? Who are the playmakers? Who were the guys on front? Who are the guys who are, uh, who Penn state fans should be worried about going into their matchup on October 20th. So you're, so so they're losing uh, Simi Cobb, which uh, which sucks. There's there's no way around it. Dude's a, a monster of a wide receiver, and and he's gone. He's a guy that you basically uh, can throw the ball to, uh, really just in the general vicinity of, and and you're gonna feel good about uh, about what's gonna happen there. There was a sequence against Ohio State where he was matched up in in isolated coverage with. Uh, first round pick Denzel Ward and and it was the most amazing sequence I had ever seen because he uh had the ball thrown his direction in the red zone I mean I was about five or six yards out and they threw they threw fade routes to semi cops three times in a row uh and everyone knew that that's what they were going to do Indiana knew that's what they were going to do the fans knew that that's what they were going to do and Ohio State knew that's what they were going to do and they just hoped that Denzel Ward was going to hold up and he didn't on the third try. And I think it was just IU knowing, uh, Hey, they're, they can't, they can't hold up three times in a row. Does IU have that guy this year? I don't know. Luke Timian, uh, excellent wide receiver. Um, especially as a, as a possession guy, but he's not, he doesn't have the stature that semi cops have had, uh, Nick Westbrook missed all of last year. Cause he got injured on a, on a kickoff uh, against Ohio State. State. And if you really want to rile up some Southern Indiana dads, you should bring that up. 
um, <laughs> about how a starting wide receiver got injured on special teams and, uh, and all that good stuff. And so both those guys are going to be back. Uh, you've got guys who played as true freshmen last year, like Watfield. You're the, the team speed, at least of the skill positions is going to be, uh, probably the best that IU has ever seen. Now, unfortunately, uh, real college football is not like a video game. So speed isn't everything, but speed definitely helps. Um, and it's, it's the kind of speed that IU hasn't had up and down its, uh, skill position in a long time. And of course you've got Morgan Ellison in the back, uh, in the backfield coming back after a, I mean, a decent true freshman season. He's, um, he's certainly not, uh, going to remind anyone of, or he's not going to make uh, Penn state fans think about Saquon Barkley, but, uh, you know, you give him the ball, he puts his head down, he gets yards, um, certainly helps the offense stay on schedule. And uh, assuming he can uh, hold on to the ball a little better this year, I mean, he should have a pretty great uh, year in the backfield. And what about on the other side of the ball? Uh, in Tom Allen, defensive-minded coach, is he going to have talent on that side of the ball to coach up, or is it going to be having to get a lot of guys to kind of play over what they're expected to do uh, for this Hoosier defense to be a, a, a pretty solid unit like they have been under Allen ever since he got to uh, – ever since he got to Bloomington as a defensive coordinator. So the interesting thing about Tom Allen and why I really don't worry about the individual town on defense yet because of what Tom Allen has done pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, he did it at USF uh, and he came to Indiana and took over a defense that was one of the very worst in football, not just power five in football uh, had no, you know, there's, there's really no quick fixes in, uh, in college football, especially on the defensive side of the ball and, and turn them around immediately and turn them into a borderline top 30 unit, uh, his very first season here. So he's obviously a guy that doesn't need, um, like the, uh, the four and five star talent to put a, to put a capable unit out there. Um, and so yes, he's losing T gray scales. Um, yes, he's losing Rashad Fant, but, uh, guys like Ashawn Riggins, Marcelino Ball, uh, they're all coming back. Uh, and honestly, those last two guys were probably uh, some of the best players when they were healthy for IU. Um, you could literally feel their impact uh, when they were on the field and just defensive backs sort of playing in that, playing in space um, and just letting them like make plays on the ball. That's... Uh, um, that's what those guys kind of offer and certainly something that offenses have to be uh, accountable for. So looking at this Indiana team on the whole, what's the best case scenario for uh, the Hoosiers this year? What is the worst case scenario and where on that spectrum do you think this team eventually falls? So the best case scenario for IU um, basically until further notice is going to be that they make a bowl game. It's not something that this is, it's not something this program has done with any sort of consistency um, and uh, or really at all. Like looking at the grand history, I, I think they've been to six or seven total. And um, and so until that becomes more normal, that's always going to be the goal. The worst case scenario is uh, the defense regresses because of the guys I mentioned that they lose and Tom Allen isn't able to uh, sort of replace them via his scheme. Um, the, uh, the quarterback battle never really, uh, produces a winner 
and uh, I use left sort of with this carousel of quarterbacks, uh, none of which are all that effective. And they limp through the Big Ten, uh, winning zero or one games and finish three and nine. As far as where I see them in that, the schedule's negotiable. Uh, the talent is there. They should have won six games last year and didn't. Um, I can't fathom their quarterback play being worse this year than last year. And I think just on that alone, they'll get to those six wins. I guess you could say the the best case scenario for IU is they finally kind of pop off that eight-win year that we always talk about being possible in August. Um, but I, I see them probably right at six wins. And ideally, they get that sixth win before they have to go play Purdue. Well, I think there's only one way for me to end this. Uh, are the Pittsburgh Pirates making the playoffs? Uh, no, probably not, simply because there's just too many there's just too many teams trying to get to the National League wildcard game. Um, if they were in a situation like the AL where there's like three teams left to try to decide their playoff destiny, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But they uh, they got Chris Archer, who will stick around for a couple more seasons after this. So uh, I'm pleased with the season. Kyle, that way. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, both on Twitter and stuff where you're going to be writing? Uh, so you can find season. me uh, on Twitter at Kicksuley. Um K-I-C-K-S-E-W-L-Y. I probably just need to go ahead and put my real name out there, uh, but for some reason I don't. And uh, I write for CrimsonQuarry.com, allegedly. Uh, the blog's been dormant for a few months, uh, <laughs> but we are, uh, we are getting ready to, uh, to sort of bring, our, uh, bring ourselves back online in time for uh, football coverage, but we just couldn't, uh, couldn't bring ourselves to write about practice. Instead, we just figured we'd give all our juice out on uh, – random opponent podcast throughout the year. So, <laughs> but that's, but yeah, crimsonquarry.com, uh, part of the SB nation blog network network is where we will be. Um, and obviously at crimson Quarry, you can find us on Twitter where we will, uh, uh, get really mad when I use those football games. <laughs> so <laughs> the, there's no better way to, uh, wrap up a podcast with one of you guys than that. Kyle, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, Bill. All right, next up, uh, we are talking to our pal Ross from our friends over at our sister site, Go Iowa Awesome. Ross, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. And as you can guess, since Ross is here, that can only mean one thing. We're talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, last year, Penn State and Iowa played one of college football's games of the year. Uh, I am sure for different reasons, both of us are hoping the game isn't nearly as close this time around. Uh, Ross... Give me just like a general sense of what Iowa fans are thinking going into this season. What's kind of the pulse of the program in year uh, 19 or whatever under Kirk Ferentz? 20. 20? Oh, this is year number 20 and year number 20 under Kirk Ferentz. To be fair, actually, if the game, if the Iowa Penn State game is like last year's for like 59 minutes and 55 seconds, I'm pretty cool with it. I just, those last five seconds were the, uh, <laughs> the dagger last year. So yes. we'll see what we can do this year. Um, the general vibe is, I think, reasonably optimistic. I mean, I don't think anyone is over the moon, like picking Big Ten championships. There's a little matter of that, uh, that Wisconsin sized impediment in the West, plus all kinds of teams over in the East if y'all aren't on suspension by. Like December, <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think there's a pretty good feelings about uh, I would like the quarterback, like Stanley. He's back. He's got a year under his belt. Um, hopefully year two of Brian Ferentz running the offense. Yeah, I think we're just hoping for a little more consistency there. I mean, he had some you know fantastic high points last year. Uh, you may have heard that they beat Ohio State 55 to 24. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about that. Earlier, a, a little earlier today, I was talking with a, a coworker of mine, and uh, I was over under on the year came up, and I mentioned to them just as a joke, "Hey, could you?" By chance, what happened when Ohio State and uh, Iowa played last year? And they said, I believe that game ended like 48-13. to 13. And I was like, oh no, my friend. That you somehow underestimated how many points the Iowa Hawkeyes hung on Ohio State last season. So, and then I laughed until I got tears in my eyes because that's usually what happens when that game pops up. You know, we get tears of joy in our eyes when we think about that game. So it's all good. But, you know, that was the high point. But there were a lot of games last year where they really struggled to uh, move the ball and definitely to score points. So I think the question is if in year two they can kind of get a little more consistent, you know, have more drives finishing in the end zone. That would be definitely the goal. Um, but, yeah, overall, pretty good vibes. I think. I mean, the schedule is also another thing contributing to those good vibes because – uh, Penn State's the only one of the heavyweights from the East that we play. We skip out on Ohio State, skip out on Michigan and Michigan State. So it's you guys, which will be quite tough, and then uh, Maryland and Indiana. So, And one thing that interests me about this Iowa team is their its first Big Ten game of the season is at Kinnick against Wisconsin, and if we know anything about uh, Iowa football, it's that they just play better in big games at Kinnick. They win that game, and suddenly they're kind of off to the races. And despite the fact that they – well, Wisconsin also has a trip to Penn State, and Wisconsin also has to play Michigan. So in a way, you can argue that if Iowa wins that game, they're kind of maybe going to be in a driver's seat or in a pole position early on in the Big Ten West. But – it, is the expectation among Iowa fans that this team is going to compete to get back to Indy, or is it just going to be one of those seasons where Iowa fans are like, listen, we're Iowa, we win eight or nine games, and we do have a, do a very solid job being Iowa football in every way, shape, and form? I think it really depends on that Wisconsin game. Like you said, that's the, that's the Big Ten opener. It's almost a year to the, the day from that Penn state game last year, actually, which is kind of crazy. Um, we're all hoping that it's going to be a night game because Kinnick night games the last few years have gone pretty well for us. So, you know, that would be good. And I think if they win that game, like you said, they're, you know, driver's seat, maybe pushing it, but that would be definitely a significant advantage to have. And, you know, then, then I think definitely you can start really thinking about getting back to Indy. Um, if they lose that game, I mean, you know, that's tough because then they're down a game plus a tiebreaker, you know, the head-to-head tiebreaker. So at that point, then you're probably thinking, you know, maybe we can hopefully win nine games, ten games, and, you know, go somewhere warm for the holidays. Absolutely. And let's look at this uh, Iowa team. Starting on the offensive side of the ball, they have uh, 
Depending on who you ask, Nate Stanley is either a perfectly solid and fine but not good quarterback, or a pretty good quarterback who seems to kind of just get what he needs to do and how to live within kind of his limitations as a football player. But I'm not as interested in him as I am everyone else around him. Uh, is kind of the sense going into this season that, uh, especially with a running game, Iowa has some question marks on the offensive side of the ball that need to get figured out? Yeah, I mean, I think the running game is... It's a question mark. Probably the biggest question mark is the receivers because we're looking for someone, anyone that can uh, kind of step up and catch the ball consistently. I think that's one thing with Stanley is his completion percentage is was pretty poor last year. It was 56-ish or something percent, which is certainly not great. Um, part of that, he was definitely victimized by receivers who – uh, really struggled to hold on to the ball. So if they can catch the ball a little more consistently, hopefully he can tick his numbers up. And if he can get it above 60%, 62, 63, that would be a pretty good year for him. Um, the running game, they're looking at kind of a three-headed monster, it looks like, this year. they've Last year was more or less the Akram show. Uh, Mr. Wadley, I think Penn State fans probably remem oh, yes. remember him pretty well. Oh, yes for uh, his 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 high-flying uh, display. Um, but he's gone. He is off to the NFL. So we're looking at a bunch of underclassmen this year. We've got uh, Torin Young, who they pulled out of Wisconsin, who looks like your classic Badger running back. He's kind of big, burly. Um, just, he's going to look for dudes to hit, probably. Uh, Ivory Kelly Martin is, he's a little more Wadley-esque. He's kind of the little sleeker, a little quicker. He's the guy that's probably going to try and juke you out of your shoes and, uh, you know, try and pick up some yards, making guys miss. Uh, and then they just added a Juco guy over the winter, Mechie Sargent, I believe is how his name is pronounced. And, um, he looks interesting. He was kind of the guy people were buzzing about at the, open practice a few days ago. So uh, he looks a little bit more like kind of a, a balanced running back as all around running back as NCAA would probably call him. It's like uh, he's not great at anything, but not terrible at anything either. And just kind of seven out of tens and everything it seems like, or something like that. So I think the hope is that they can just kind of roll with the hot hand and rotate running backs and get something good going there. And will uh, this is? I'm just asking as a formality. Uh, I don't want to make it seem like I question whether or not I was going to have a bunch of big old nasty dudes who block everything in front of them on the offensive line. But is that the expectation this season? Yeah, I mean we have a few question marks for week one because both of our uh, presumed starting tackles managed to get themselves suspended. Oh, very good. Which is ideal. Um, not ideal, really, but uh, they're. They're expected to only just be a one-game thing. It was one of them. Um, no, that was the defensive tackle that tried to uh, use a cop car as an Uber, which turns out not a great idea. We'll get to that um, in a second, but I, you're going to have to tell yeah. exactly what happened there. But, but momentarily, yeah, so, you're on the OL. Anyway, they they are each out for a game, but they're expected to be back the rest of the year. Uh, they're young, both sophomores, but they profile as the next really good Iowa 
offensive linemen. Um, middle of the line is a few more question marks. We graduated uh, Sean Welsh, who was good, and then James Daniels, who left early, was our center, and he was excellent. He's off collecting paychecks from the Bears right now. So a few question marks there, but I think kind of a general expectation that, you know, they've got some good bodies. They've got Ferentz. They're probably going to be okay there. Looking at uh, the other side of the football, uh, please talk about uh, this arrest. But also, uh, Iowa's defensive line, as Penn State fans saw last year, uh, with Anthony Nelson on one end, uh, Parker Hesse when he's in the game, and then A.J. Epinesa, who has superstar written all over him, it seems like Iowa's defense is at the absolute minimum going to win at the line of scrimmage. Is Iowa's defensive line going to ca- excuse me, kind of carry the rest of this defense? Or will the linebacker play and uh, the secondary play make it so this season has Iowa's defense has the potential to be really, really special? Yeah, so a lot of good questions there. Um, first up, the defensive tackle, Brady Reef, younger brother of Riley Reef, who you may recall as the Iowa offensive lineman, current Viking. Uh, he had a few few drinks a couple weeks ago, and um, to his credit, he was trying to find an Uber to go home, not drive, that's good, but he used a cop car as an Uber and managed to get himself a uh, public intox <laughs> citation. So, yeah. But, uh, again, one-game thing, he should be back. Uh, uh, like you said, the line, the ends look really good. I mean, Anthony Nelson has really been blowing up the last uh, year or two. He looks great on one end. Then on the other end, you've got Parker Hesse, who's kind of the classic. Nobody recruited him, works his tail off, um, really blossoms as a junior and senior kind of guy. And then he's going to rotate with AJ Epinesa, who, like you said, looks like a future superstar. He's the very rare five-star coming to Iowa. Uh, There's a legacy connection there. His dad uh, played for Iowa way back in the 80s, I believe, uh, or maybe early 90s. And um, so that kind of pulled him or Gives a little pull with him. Uh, so they look great. I mean, the ends should be, you know, really fantastic. Like, we're really looking for some pass rush and, uh, you know, protecting the run on the edge. The defensive tackles are a little bit more of a question mark. Uh, there's really no one that profiles as that really good kind of, you know, s- stuff up the middle, eat up the run. Like, uh, we had Jaleel Johnson. Uh, a couple years ago, Carl Davis. Um, so we don't really seem to have that guy this year. So it's going to be a little, a uh, little, little bit of a question mark to figure that out. Um, but I, I think they'll probably be decent there. Uh, the linebackers in the secondary, some big names gone there. Uh, we lost all three starters at linebacker. Uh, the big one, Josie Jewell, who won a just closets worth of awards last year and had an excellent career at Iowa. Uh, he's going to be difficult to replace in the middle. Um, a couple guys they like at linebacker, uh, Amani Jones, who is going to replace Jewel. He's uh, really good at um, just kind of covering the, the field sideline to sideline. Uh, and then 
Nick Neiman, who's the younger brother of a linebacker who was just at Iowa, Ben Neiman, is going to be one of the other linebackers, and he looks like more of a coverage linebacker. The other linebacker spot, they've uh, just been kind of shuffling through bodies all camp, and we're a little, we're a lot unsure about what's going to happen there, frankly. So uh, linebacker play is definitely going to be uh, a big question mark. Secondary, uh, so we lost um, starting Josh, 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 Josh Jackson, who was phenomenal cornerback, came out of nowhere. No one expected what he did last year before the year. I thought, oh, he could be pretty good. And then all of a sudden, he's a Thorpe Award finalist and Big Ten defensive back of the year. Uh, he went off to the pros after his junior year. So got to replace him, which is tough. It uh, looks like Matt Hankins is going to be the number one corner. He looks pretty solid, but again, that's going to be tough to uh, replace Jackson. Uh, the guy to watch in the secondary is at safety, Amani Hooker. He is a phenomenal athlete. He In high school, he like played everywhere. He's on defense. He's on offense. He's a quarterback. He's running. He's throwing. And uh, so we were excited when he came here, and he settled in on defense. And he just looks like a beast in the secondary. Like he, he's got great instincts. He hits like a truck. Uh, he uh, in that Ohio State game, which Iowa won fifty-five to twenty-four. Uh, he had the first <laughs> touchdown of the game. He uh, picked sixth. Um, is that Braxton Miller? I think was no uh, Barrett. JT, JT Barrett, Barrett. Yes, was their quarterback. Yeah, he picked sixth him on like the first play of the game, practically, and uh, gave us all kinds of good warm fuzzy feelings inside about that game so yeah i think those are those are the dudes we're watching on defense defense if i'm being honest i don't know that this is going to be a a vintage top tier iowa defense which gives me a little a little concern because the best iowa teams under ference have pretty much always had really good defenses so you know i don't know if they can can they win as much without a, a kick-ass, you know, top-tier defense? We might find out. And looking at this Iowa team as a whole, what is the best-case scenario? What is the worst-case scenario? And ultimately, where do you think it falls? I mean, best-case scenario, is it too much to say, like, I mean, they, they did just go 12-0 and a couple years ago, but that's probably... Probably too much to expect that again. But best case is probably if they can get by Wisconsin, you know, I think uh, a 10 and 2, 11 and 1 season would be, you know, very much in their power at that point. Worst case, you know, the thing with their schedule is it's a weird schedule to me because Wisconsin and Penn State are the only, you know, really heavyweights on there. They're the preseason top 10, they're the games that you circle and go, oof, those are the toughies. But they've got a whole bunch of other games that feel toss-up-y, like Northwestern and um, uh, Iowa State last year was a was a devil of a game. Um, a couple other ones too that I don't you know feel 100% confidence in. So you know if some of those toss-ups go the wrong way, then you know we're staring down the barrel of six and six or five and seven if things go pretty pear-shaped. Um, certainly hoping that doesn't occur. What I think happens, you know, you you don't lose a lot of money betting on Iowa to go about eight and four. That's pretty pretty <laughs> typical. So 
I'm kind of I'm thinking like nine and three. I think they can. Uh, I think they do that this year. But eight and four, nine and three. I think that's kind of the the ballpark. Just another one of your standard Iowa football teams. Just it the that program's consistency is like stunning. How they they're down years they win eight games. They're up years they win nine games. And you know they're always outliers in either direction. But that's just that's just Iowa. They're there. They're there forever. And thanks to Kirk Ferentz's agent, that's not going to change. So uh, he's a Russ, wizard. Go ahead. He's a wizard, that man, Ferentz's agent. Oh, I was going to say Ferentz or his agent, because both of them are a little bit... Uh, Definitely the agent. Ferentz has <laughs> got a little little magic in him sometimes, too. <laughs> Ross, where can we find you on the internet? You can always find me at uh, GoIowaAwesome. That's GoIowaAwesome.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I can't guarantee that's a good idea, but you can get me at, at RossWB. All right. Make sure you all get to do that. And Ross, thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome. Continuing to look at the second half of Penn State's schedule, we have finally gotten to uh, what is going... Like, this might be the game for Penn State. For how big Ohio State and Michigan State coming to Happy Valley are, Penn State, November 3rd, has to play its toughest road game of the year when it travels to Ann Arbor to take on Michigan. Uh, We decided to go out and get our friend Alex Cook from MGO Blog. I had to be very careful to make sure I was saying MGO Blog and not MGO Wars, so I'm patting myself on the back. Uh, Alex would like me to warn you, he is a Michigan basketball guy primarily for MGO Blog, but he knows his Wolverine football, and Alex, we're glad to have you on, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I would do my Alex Jones impersonation, but it's not very good. So yeah, you're just, uh, far too pleasant and mild mannered as a person to like have an Alex Jones impression. I would imagine. So I, I I'm not going to make you do that. But what I am going to make you do is talk about Michigan football. And I want to start by kind of taking the pulse of this program because Michigan, uh, it's coming off of an eight and five season. It was supposed to be uh, a bit of a down year. Uh, it, you, you can debate whether they went a little farther down than people were expecting or if that's about what people thought last year. But just kind of the state of this program. Where is Michigan football at right now? Where are Michigan football fans at right now? And what's the mentality entering the 2018 season? So I think it's important to look at things in context. So last season was quite disappointing. Um, Some pretty high-profile losses, bad quarterback play. Um, One of the youngest teams in the country had the least experience, uh, like among uh, the teams with the least experience in the Power Five conferences. But if you look back to um, where the program was at when Harbaugh took over, not a ton of talent, not, I mean, had been pretty much wandering in the desert for the better part of a decade. And, you know, 10 and 3 is first season, 10 and 3 in third place in the Big Ten in 2016. Um, but that was definitely a playoff caliber team. I know um, they gave Penn State the business in Ann Arbor and, you know, ultimately lost a couple coin flips down the stretch, um, wound up not making it to the Big Ten championship and not make the playoff. But that 2016 team was pretty much what uh, people expected with Harbaugh coming in. Quarterback play wasn't quite as good as it needed to be. But uh, lost a ton off of that team. 2017 was definitely a transition year. Uh, Two quarterbacks literally got sent to the hospital because of terrible blocking on the offensive line. And, you know, with kind of the quarterback play over the latter half of the season, starting with the Michigan State game, 
Uh, Michigan didn't really have much of a chance to contend with the teams at the top of the conference. But, you know, theoretically, that position should be shored up. And, you know, pretty much everybody's back from last season. Uh, for the most part, defense should be among the best in the country and um, among the best in the Big Ten. And it really all, all comes down to the offense. And before we get to the offense, and this is just something that uh... – yeah, I kind I half say it jokingly. I half am actually interested in this, but Michigan is a school where the standard is insanely high every single year. I mean, with Michigan, it is a fan base that expects to contend for the Big Ten. It expects to be in a position where it can make it to the playoff. And so far through three years, uh, that hasn't happened. Third place, third place, fourth place. You don't need me to repeat this. Is this a place where is Jim Harbaugh ever going to have to uh, is he ever going to be in a position where maybe people start questioning whether or not he's anything more than uh, you know someone who just does viral stuff on social media and has them top off as third in the conference behind uh, Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan State if Michigan State is in that uh, in that realm. I mean, I don't really think that that's the case at all. I think um, 2015 transition year did better than expected. Um, horrific fluke loss to Michigan State in Ann Arbor. You don't need to go into that. We got our asses kicked by Ohio State that year. But 2016 kind of reminds me a little bit of 2017 Penn State. You know, one of the better teams in the country up there to really tough losses in tough environments comes down to a coin flip that Penn State loses, winds up not winning the Big Ten. I think 2016 Michigan is kind of similar. Lost three games, including the bowl game, by a combined five points, led late in all of those games. So I think if you look at it just in terms of, yeah, ultimately the results haven't been there, and ultimately you are judged on the results, but compared to where the program had been, having that kind of team in 2016 was probably the best defense in the country, an offense that just couldn't quite get it done but had you know plenty of weapons. Uh, you know, ultimately Harbaugh is fine because he keeps on, you know, creating that kind of a team, which hopefully, you know, 2018 more resembles 2016 than 2017. But I, I think the quality of the team is really the important thing to, you know, keep your eye on because, man, with Hoke and Rich Rod, it was just the program had been pretty humbled by that point. I think the expectations for success were brought back by Harbaugh, but for a while there, I think that kind of dulled the, you know, more rabid parts of our fan base. So looking at the 2018 season, starting the offensive side of the ball, uh, everything is going to come down to really two things. One, are they going to have a quarterback who's able to get the ball to their skill position guys? And two, are they going to be able to keep that dude upright? Uh, starting, just starting with those two question marks, uh, Harbaugh's very tight-lipped about his quarterback uh, yes. situation, but yes. is there like a sense of which direction the wind is blowing, and is there a sense of uh, what people expect out of the offensive line this year? I mean, it is kind of hard to read the tea leaves because, like you said, pretty much radio silence, but I think anybody who pays enough attention is fairly confident that Shea Patterson will start, you know, barring a major surprise, and It'll come down to how well he plays. I know a lot's been said about him this offseason, especially after he was ruled eligible and uh, five-star talent kind of up and down at Ole Miss, had some weird circumstances there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, ultimately 
Uh, Harbaugh hasn't had that much success at quarterback at Michigan, but does have that uh, pedigree as being a quarterback whisperer of sorts. So it'll be interesting to see now that he has his guy. You know, O'Corn was a cast off from Houston. Jake Rudock was a cast off from Iowa. Wilton Spate was a Al Borges left over. Um, he went out and got his guy, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's your follow-up question. Can they keep him upright? That's the million-dollar question. Like, if he gets injured a couple of games into the season, it'll be probably a lot of problems again. So I think offensive line is definitely a bigger question mark than quarterback, at least in my mind. And the set is the sense among the fans that, like, listen, uh, Brandon Peters, uh, you – you did about as good as you could when you uh, played last year. A guy like Dylan McCaffrey, you're a talented dude, sure. But barring something kind of unforeseen, Michigan fans seem to think this is Shea Patterson's job through and through. It's you know it's impossible to say because, like you said, it's radio silence. But and we didn't even have a spring game. Uh, it was like pretty much uh, midwinter weather. You know, 30 degrees, kind of snowing, so that got canceled. So we haven't seen anything. And uh, Peters, kind of a weird situation. Second-year player got thrown into a bad situation midseason. Um, did not play well in the bowl games. So he would have had to make some strides. It's like, you know, if it is Peters or if it is McCaffrey, they will have been good enough to beat out Patterson. So I think that kind of raises the bar because, you know, last year I got, the competition was much lower, I feel like, at the quarterback position. And it was open. Spade didn't have that job on lock. Um, you know, Corn and Pete, you know, Reg, freshman Peters were pretty comparable. So, you know, I think Shea immediately raised the bar. And if Peters or McCaffrey are good enough, um, they'll get the job. But I would put, you know, probably at least 80, 90 percent odds on uh, Patterson being the guy. The good news uh, for Michigan, though, is that if they are able to find a quarterback, it seems like, and you could, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The skill position talent, whether it's the dudes they have a wide receiver, their one-two punch at tight end, or the fact that they have some, uh, they have a really, really good running back in Karan Higdon, it seems like if they can figure out their quarterback situation, this offense has the potential with the skill talent to be really, really scary. Yeah, and I think, honestly, so much of that comes down to the offensive line because, like you said, Higdon, really good back. Chris Evans, great change pace, can more versatile, can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, the talent at receiver, you know, I know Penn State has been recruiting at a really high level and, you know, in order to compete at the top level with the Ohio States, with the, you know, Clemson's or Alabama's, you need to recruit at the elite level and receivers a position where Michigan's done that. Um, Jim Harbaugh loves his tight ends. There's a lot of depth there. So, you know, the skill positions, I think they're certainly good enough to, you know, really contend for a Big Ten title. Quarterback is a question mark, but I think there's a high ceiling there. It's just really my doubts about the offensive line or why I'm not you know, super optimistic, especially against a pretty tough schedule. The good news, though, uh, is that even if the offense is just okay, this defense is terrifying enough that it's going to kind of take care of – it's going to be able to win them some football games. We were talking a bit before the, we started, but uh, you and I both think that this is the best defense in the Big Ten – what is it about this defense that makes it so good in that Don Brown system? So I, I think it goes back to just the talent, the talent that's been recruited there. Um, you know, some of it's five. Uh, Rashawn Gary was the top guy in his class. 
uh, David Long, Laverne Hill, both top 100 recruits. They're all, you know, All-American caliber players. You know, you have a couple guys, Devin Bush or Klee Hudson or Chase Winovich, who weren't that kind of superstar recruit. But just the overall talent level, you know, potential all-conference guys, potential all-American guys, um, future NFL players. Michigan has a ton of that. And, you know, with Don Brown, his defense is well-equipped to attack modern offenses, I think. Um, a lot of speed, a lot of aggressiveness. Uh, Blitz is more than anyone really good against the run. Can get kind of broken for big plays and – you know, what was interesting about Don Brown and really Michigan's game against Penn State last year was that was the first time a Don Brown defense had kind of been truly exposed at Michigan. I think, you know, Michigan's defense is well built to contain spread offenses, but more in, say, the Urban Meyer power spread, you know, kind of grinding out yards with attrition versus the Joe Moorhead, you know, vertical spread. And I mean, with Saquon Barkley, obviously a game breaking talent in the backfield. So susceptible to big plays, certainly, but between the talent level and just the way they get after it, they blitz pretty much every play, play really tight man-to-man defense, and, you know, susceptible to certain things. Um, downfield passes out of the slot was really the only major Achilles heel, and I know McSorley was a good enough quarterback to exploit that last season, but uh, between, you know, having nine starters back from a top-ten defense that was really young and inexperienced, um, a lot of all-American potential players. It's just the perfect combination of, you know, talent and coaching. And who are, I think a lot of fans uh, who have, who watch this Michigan team can tell you who kind of the game changers are on this defense. But uh, you mentioned Rashawn Gary, who in addition uh, to him, who's kind of expected to have that season anchoring Michigan's defense should Penn State fans and really any fans be on the lookout for is the guys who, they're going to raise hell and they are going to smother you as you are trying to move the ball on the Wolverines. I think, you know, the the front seven just brings so much pressure in the box. I think Cully Hudson really replaced Jabril Peppers well in that role in terms of playing in space and setting the edge hard and, and also being able to rush the passer. Devin Bush, super productive in the middle of that defense. Um, and I guess if there is... If there are weak spots, which, you know, kind of relatively speaking, there's promising options and good coaching at both spots. But defensive tackle, we lost Mohurst, who was a terror on the inside last season. We have Michael Dwanfour and Aubrey Solomon, former Penn State recruit, former five-star. They're kind of going to fill that spot. And I have some veteran safeties that didn't really stand out relative to the rest of the defense. So you kind of do wonder if that might be an Achilles heel again. But, yeah. And in terms of just talent across the board, I mean, there's multiple guys in each position group that you're you're looking at as some of the best in the country. And take me just through really quickly, what is the best case scenario for this Michigan team? What is the worst case scenario? And when the dust settles, where do you think this Michigan team is going to be? So I think the best case scenario, um, Michigan plays five top 15 teams, three of which are on the road. So best case scenario would probably be 11 and one and a uh, big time title and playoff berth. Worst case, you know, if the quarterbacks start getting hurt again, if the offense is still super dysfunctional. And I do think there are some organizational issues there in terms of how it's run and everything. I mean, the miscommunication last season was pretty stark, even given the inexperience, um, so I think if the offense is super dysfunctional again, the defense raises the floor a lot. So maybe, eight and four, seven and five, but you know, Michigan plays at Notre Dame, 
at Michigan State, at Ohio State, gets Wisconsin and Penn State at home. I mean, you're going to have to play at a really high level to win any of those games. So, yeah, I guess I would say the range is probably 11 and 1 to 7 and 5, and, you know, 9 and 3 um, is probably the most accurate assessment, in my opinion. I just think the offensive line is just not going to be good enough against some of the, you know, Against Penn State's defense, it's not going to be good enough if it's mediocre or worse. Against Ohio State, not good Michigan State, so on and so forth. So 9-3 and three and third in the Big Ten. How about that? Yeah, 9-3 uh, nine and, nine and three in the Big Ten has uh, led to uh, the Internet having a whole lot of fun at Michigan's expense over the last couple of years. That general range at Michigan's expense over the last couple of years. And you, you and I talk about this a lot. It's going to be interesting to see kind of if that stuff develops, if the offensive line develops, if Shea Patterson is the former five-star number one recruit that he was back in the day, you and I have talked about this. This Michigan team has the potential to be really, really, really scary. Uh, and, of course, I'm hoping very much that is not the case. But in the event that it is, and people want to read up on uh, the various coverage that y'all are going to be doing, where can they go for that? Um, mgoblog.com, of course, has a lot of uh, content in the round to the season. I know that there's some stuff going on with uh, our staff right now, but we should be ready for, for the season to start. Um, we did come out with a uh, you know preview magazine that you can find on the MGO blog store if you're willing to pay a little bit to read about Michigan. I know it's Penn State fans, probably not, but <laughs> it's there if you want it, if you're just starved for football. and. Yeah, man, I could, I could talk about the offensive line. I've talked about it a lot this offseason when, you know, various friends that are super into uh, following the squad and everything, and I just I just don't see it. If that offensive line is good, Michigan could be the best team in the conference. But if it's not, five, yeah, yeah. number five. I, I do not disagree with you on that. And like I said, I very much hope that's not the case. But Alex Cook, I hope we talk to you again soon, buddy. Sounds good, man. Have a good night. Getting into the home stretch of Penn State's 2018 schedule, the what might be uh, it, stylistically its most fascinating game of the schedule. Saturday, November 10th, Wisconsin's coming to town. What could be a matchup, and perhaps something of a preview of what will ha- what will the matchup will be in the Big Ten title game a few weeks later. Uh, we went out. We decided to get uh, some. Insight into this Badgers program from our friend Jake Kokorowski. Jake, how you doing, buddy? Oh, man. It's, hey, football season's back. Uh, already feeling it. Already writing camp reports uh, from, from you know, following it, man. It's it's ready, man. You know, what, 16 days away, 16, 17 days away. And, uh, yeah, let, let's roll with it. Yeah, let's do it. And I I can absolutely sense that uh, you're, a, you're really excited. And I think prior to that probably has to do with the fact that as we were talking about before we started, this is kind of the first year in some time where I can remember Wisconsin not just being talked about as, you know, they're the shoe, basically the shoe in to win the Big Ten West. They're going to get to Indianapolis. But for the first time, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like the conversation surrounding the program isn't just it's a team that's going to win the Big Ten West. It's this team can win the Big Ten, and this team can make the playoff, and this team can make some noise once they get to the playoff. Yeah, I mean, there's, they always have their internal goals. It, you know, we've got, the players will talk about that. You know, TJ Edwards, I know I, I wasn't part of this media scrum. 
uh, back in the spring. But when he talked to the you know reporters, he mentioned I think the word national championship came up, and, and that's why he returned. They they have their goal set, and and the one thing with this team too, and it, it may be coach speak or player speak, however you want to say it, uh, but they I think they firmly believe that it, it doesn't you know you're not going to get a national championship just by name recognition. You're not going to get going to the college football playoff just because the hype train that you know sports illustrated has them as a number three uh you know from their from this week you know like being in the top four uh you know and and people predicting them being the dark horse to get into the college football playoff right they know that it takes practice by practice each day you have to get better you know coach chris uh head coach paul chris mentioned you know was it i think it was saturday um they're not game ready yet but, you know, they know that practice by practice, they get better. They increase, you know, it's going to get up to that point where they are game ready. And then they that's when you build up on going out there and, and executing and, and getting, you know, the W's and then the wins then lead to titles and the titles go from there. So they have those goals. But, you know, it's hard not to listen to the to the hype. Uh, they're doing a good job. You know, they tell me uh, and others just, you know, they're keeping that outside noise away and they're focusing on their goals. But, you know, you have ESPN, you have, um, what the athletic, you have other like Fox sports analyst, uh, Matt Liner, former Heisman trophy winner, uh, going out there and saying that, you know, saying, Oh, look, they have the you know potential to go into the playoff. And here's why I'm in on Wisconsin. And, you know, so there is considerable hype, but this schedule is different from what it was last year. It was different from, 2016 in a sense too uh but you know they have a very tough road schedule and so there's a lot i mean for the for this team to make it to that to the big 10 championship game even though the west division is not necessarily uh the most boastful uh or the most deep compared to the uh the east they got a lot to they're gonna have some rough games and there will be some teams that challenge them especially on the road uh with like five really tough conference matchups in my opinion and I think there are kind of two ways to look at this team. There's one, which is, yes, they're a team that's coming in with that big target on their back uh, for all the hype that they're getting, for the fact that they just, they've won the Big Ten West three of the four years the division's split, been split up. But there's also the other way of looking at it, and my guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the way that Wisconsin is looking at this season is uh, a lot of people have viewed them as having a ceiling each of the last few years, which is they make it to the Big Ten championship game and then they lose it. Is that kind of the mentality that they want to fight back against that perception, get that Big Ten, uh, get that Big Ten championship for the first time since 2012, and then, you know, with the assumption that if you win the Big Ten, you make the playoff unless you're Penn State, they then make the playoff. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they do want to make an impact. They want to achieve a championship. They don't want just, I mean, they've gone to two consecutive new year, six bowls people back in 2016 thought six and six could be a potential record with, with just who they were returning a, a offensive line, still trying to rebuild and, and, and whatnot. And they turned that into a, you know, a double digit win season and, and a new year, six bowl win. And then last year, like you mentioned, just, uh, they could win the West and, and they're by far the, the best team out, you know, in that division. Uh, and then, you know, they're within a drive of, of beating Ohio state. Uh, and I know a lot of Wisconsin fans, that if they listen, they aren't very happy about that non holding call or non passive interference call that, uh, that should have been called again, uh, when for Danny Davis on that route uh that would have nullified uh the holding penalty so it yeah on that drive but it it is uh, i mean 
I think the narrative, you know, they do want a championship. I think any team that if you're not trying to strive for a championship, right. then you're in a – unless you're Illinois, which is a different story right now. Or, <laughs> or yeah, you know, they they want to win. They they want to prove themselves. And I mean, I think this is the time. I think with who they have as seniors with this team, TJ Edwards, uh, who's bound to be a team captain. You have Ryan Connolly, a former walk-on. That's the best hand inside linebacker tandem in the Big Ten, uh, in my opinion, uh, just with the, the tackles they accumulate. Um, you have the offense right now, the firepower. I think the potential's there. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later. But, I mean, that defense is really going to have to step up. Uh, and there, you know, you replace seven starters, uh, two contributors on top of that, and it's going to be there's a lot of talent there. And from what I've seen in fall camp, there are more answers now than questions, which is a positive. But there, are, I mean, they still haven't put on the jer- the home jerseys, and they haven't fought or gone up against another team with a different set of jerseys, and they've been going up against each other. So I mean, you can talk about how look they, good they look in fall camp, but. You know, it's not going to, this doesn't count until August 31st, Friday night, underneath the lights of Camp Randall Stadium when they face Western Kentucky. So uh, it, there's a lot of potential with this team, and they, I think they feel that. And I think they have the opportunity to really make a big splash, and they know this. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, to get, you know, maybe necessarily to squash the narrative of, of them being. Uh, very, very good. I, I think they're keeping that noise outside, uh, you know, from being very, very good instead of great or I think someone used the word elite. I think they're still – I don't know if they're they're paying attention to that outside the noise, but I know for a fact that – I mean, they want to achieve grace. They want to go undefeated again, uh, and they feel like – I'm sure they have. They know they have a shot uh, at going to the college football playoff and, and being, you know, a great team. But it starts with, you know, each day of practice. And one thing that's – that I think has to make every Wisconsin fan feel pretty good is that offensively this team has had the same identity forever. And this Wisconsin offense, when you look at it, it has the established guy uh, at quarterback who, yeah, Alex Hornibrook isn't a superstar, but he's a steady hand back there, save for the fact that he's prone to turn the ball over. The offensive line is going to maul you. Pass catchers is a pretty talented deep group. And then at running back, they have a guy who seems like a revelation in Jonathan Taylor, who is trying to build on what was one hell of a freshman season. Like are, where are the question marks on this offense? I think right now it's left tackle in terms of who will be, you know, who will play there. You have John Deason, who is a left guard and Cole Van Lannan that have been competing. Now, Dietzen's been injured the past. Uh, he was injured. He's out list on the injury report today uh, from what I was given from a UW official. Does not, based off of what some of the media said, I wasn't able to stay for the entire practice today, but from what uh, some of the players uh, were telling the other media, doesn't sound serious for both, you know, for, for Dietzen to be out. But he's he's had kind of that injury-plagued career so far. He When he's healthy, he's one of the best linemen on the team. But that the big question marks the health. And Cole Van Lannan last year subbed in for Michael Dieter at left tackle. Now Dieter's going, now he's swinging back inside the left guard. Uh, he was asked to play out of position last year, and at the next level, Dieter will play, uh, you know, interior lineman at at some point there, and he can play tackle, guard, or center, which is great for him. But it, you, at left tackle, that's a big in you know, that offense. You know, it, mostly it's not the the blind side, if you will, uh, for you know for a lefty like like Horningbrook, but it's still interesting because you have. You know, three essentially All-Americans in Dieter, 
David Edwards, David Edwards is the right tackle, and then uh, also Bo Benchwell uh, at the right guard. And then you have a freshman All-American and Tyler Biotish at center. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, and I think either Van Lannan or Dietzen will play fine there, but I think that's one of the biggest questions there uh, on the offense. I would also say tight end just where you have, you're replacing Troy from former walk on to turn team captain now with the Denver Broncos in a fifth round draft pick. But you have Xander Neville, who's coming back from a torn ACL and who's like the inline tight end. You have Kyle Penniston, who's more the H back, and can he's shown he can catch the ball, but he had a kind of a decreased role last year with how well Fumagalli played. Uh, but then you also have Jake Ferguson, who's you'll hear this. You, you can do a drinking game, folks, uh, during the game uh, in November where, you know, oh, he's the grandson of Barry Alvarez. Well, you can take, take a drink, you know, it's uh, but he's actually a really good playmaking tight end. And he show he shined during the spring. So who emerges there? And I think the tight end might be underrated this year with the depth they have at wide receiver and even possibly the running backs and the fullback in the passing game too. I think the tight ends could be sneaky there as well. It's very uh, Wisconsin to be asked a question about the offense and spend all the time talking about the offensive line and the tight end. So I'm very glad you were able to. Uh, <laughs> very glad you were able to do this. But is the sense that if they can keep. Alex, Alex Hornibrook upright, and if they can give Jonathan Taylor just that little bit of space, this offense has the potential to be uh, one of those really special, almost like those high-scoring offenses we saw when Brett Bielma was in town. Yeah, I think so. And Chris was the offensive coordinator during that time, too. So Scott Tolzien, I think it was like, what, 40 to 41 points per game, and then Russell Wilson, when he transferred in for, for that one season, was magical. It is, I, I think, really this team... Offense. I mean, it was one of the questions I was a part of a media roundtable right after spring where all of us, the last question was, can Wisconsin's offense, you know, put up 40 plus points? And I'm, I'm a believer. I think if injuries don't hit, if I think Hornybrook and from what I've seen in this, you know, in spring and into the fall, most of the fall, I think he's taking a step up and I think it's going to be huge for him. He's got the rapport with his receivers yeah, he doesn't have t- uh, you know Fumagalli is kind of that that fail safe there like he's had the past couple of years, but I think Neville and Penniston are going to surprise some people, and uh, you know I when you have the running back by the you know with Jonathan Taylor uh, by the name of Jonathan Taylor and what he can do, and you saw as a freshman and what he you know and I think I remember was it Alec Ingle the fullback was saying that uh, during media day that. Taylor kind of found himself in the weight room, if you will. And he already had a college ready body, which sounds weird to say, but he had a college ready body as a freshman. And now he's squatting 500 pounds as a running back. Uh, I think, you know, as long as he holds onto the ball, and I think that's the key right there too, Bill turnovers, Hornybrook can't throw interceptions and Taylor can't put the ball on the ground. Uh, if they keep the turnovers low, this there's the sky's the limit for this, for this offense. And if they have four, at the moment, four wide receivers, A.J. Taylor, Quintez Cephas, Danny Davis, and Kendrick Pryor, that really there's a depth there that hasn't been seen in quite a while. Maybe the 2003-2004 seasons where you had Lee Evans and Brandon Williams, Jonathan Noor, like that. But these these kids are uh, have speed behind them. They can block for the running games, and, and they're self, selfless in that regard. And they all have different talents uh, and can make plays. And so that's really going to be – interesting to see how the ball is distributed and how they all get on the same page but if they're all selfless 
I mean, the sky's the limit, I think, for this squad. And, and you know, you could it, it'll be interesting come November, come injuries and whatnot, where, where they are, but it should be a fun matchup. And looking on the other side of the ball, when you think of uh, Wisconsin, you're thinking of, they're going to run that 3-4. They're going to have those just a really, really, really solid group of linebackers. And you talked uh, a little earlier about Ryan Conway and TJ Edwards and how good those guys are. But we were talking a little bit about before. Could you bring walk me through uh, the defensive line and the secondary and how uh, the success of this defense, which, again, is usually thought of as you know, those linebackers creating havoc could be on those two groups to uh, take steps forward and prove what they can do. Yeah, I mean, you, you're talking about secondary. You know, you lose Nick Nelson, you lose Derek Tindall right off the bat. And then for safety-wise, you lose Latrell Jamerson, who's with the Saints. But then also Joe Ferguson, and also take a drink, grandson, uh, older grandson of Barry Alvarez, uh, the Wisconsin athletic director and former head coach. Uh, they're replacing a lot of production at that. Nick Nelson right now with the Oakland Raiders, fourth-round draft pick. Uh, you know, I think, you know, this group is, it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting on, on that note where Dakota Dixon's the lone returner from that from you know essentially uh, from the defensive backfield. Can't say enough good things about Dixon really, uh, and and you know he fought some injuries last year, but you know he's gonna be the leader back there. But you also have Dante Carrier Williams, who's a redshirt sophomore. He was the third uh, cornerback in their nickel sub package, and he took some steps last year, especially towards the end, I think, in my opinion. And he has the ability, I think, you know, he's going to be the, kind of the leader of that group uh, uh, for the cornerbacks, uh, with Dixon being the, for the secondary, but uh, you know, or with the safeties, I should say. But there are at least three to four other cornerbacks, I think. Are, are too deep worthy and it's like caesar williams fayon hicks and madison cohen and even deron harrell who uh, is a converted wide receiver and a former gray shirt but uh those the i think they have there's there's a lot of unproven talent there i really like fayon hicks uh in with his athleticism i, I you know caesar williams is a little bit of a taller corner and he's made some pass breakups and interceptions between fall camp and spring spring ball too and, and madison cone's going to be your typical slot cornerback uh but he's aggressive and he's confident uh even at, at about five nine five ten ish uh, i think you know that that's going to be big for the cornerbacks because, you know, you have an offense like Penn State, uh, any type of passing attack, it's going to, you know, that's going to be a lot of stress on those younger cornerbacks. And it'll be a baptism through fire a little bit there. Uh, but also with the secondary uh, in terms of safeties, I like Scott Nelson right now. He's a redshirt freshman, about 6'2", 6'3"-ish out of Detroit. He's made about three interceptions that I've seen so far in fall camp, uh, Perry next to Dixon, and he he's – confident too. I mean, that's a key word I'm hearing, you know, I'm seeing that these kids are young. They want to learn. Don't get me wrong. There's no, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance and, and they are confident, but they're still, you know, practicing after, uh, you know, after, after practice, I should say they're doing drills and whatnot. And you're seeing these guys uh, perform and trying to learn more. And I think Nelson took is taking a big jump and I think either him or Patrick Johnson will be next to Dixon. But I mean, it's going to be big because, you know, with a passing type, uh, you know, that you see with Penn State and others, I'm, you know, especially with Michigan, because they go to Michigan on the road uh, with Shea Patterson and then Nate Stanley with Iowa. I'm really and Clayton Thorson for uh, Northwestern, depending upon who gets the, you know, who emerges as receivers there. Uh, I mean, they're going to be tested and they're going to have to respond uh, probably quickly. And uh, we'll, we'll get a glimpse about two weeks from now. 
But, you know, the secondary, I think they're going to be fine. I, I like the way they compete. Uh, I think that's what Jimmy Leonard wants too. So uh, that who's the defensive coordinator. So it's it'll be fun to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can actually do in a game time setting. Then just real quick, uh, bring me through the best and the worst case scenarios uh, for this Wisconsin team. I think I, the thing that makes this always so interesting with Wisconsin is it always seems like the worst case scenario is like nine wins, and the best case scenario in years past has been. Big Ten West title fighting for a Big Ten championship. Is that generally the same thing here? Um, I mean, this year with that schedule, they could easily go, I mean, they could easily go nine and three with the road, with their road schedule. And I mean, just peering at that, I mean, fourth game of the year, they go to Iowa. They start off Big Ten play uh, at Iowa City. And then two, you know, three weeks later, they're at Michigan. Then they have Northwestern, Penn State, and then they go to Purdue as their last, you know, I mean, they got the, they got some big uh, uh, away games that they have to take on, and you know it'll be interesting with the you know with just the caliber of talent on the road what they can handle. Um, I mean, they can go anywhere from undefeated in my opinion, or I would say more realistically at least one or two losses this year. Um, I think, but this team, I mean, the way the resolve and the determination, like I, you know, last year I predicted they'd go under undefeated season, and they did. Uh, so best case scenario, I think they could do that in the regular season. I think they could run the table if that defense, the big question mark is that defense. Uh, the offense is going to take care of itself, barring injuries or any other unforeseen circumstances that keep players out. But that defense, it's not, you know, the secondary is young and unproven. They, they need to find someone next to Andrew Van Ginkle at outside linebacker, which I think they have in Zach Bond and, and Tyler Johnson. They'll, they'll have uh, Bobby April, the third, the outside linebackers coach told me they want six game ready. Uh, backers at that position, which I think they're going to fill. But uh, the big question mark on defense is going to be that defensive line where you have to replace three players last year that combined for 156 games played throughout their career. And then on top of that, the guy, the two players that were going to go out in that base three, four uh, Garrett Rand is now out for the year with an Achilles injury, a reported Achilles injury. They refer to as a right leg injury uh, officially by UW. They don't name body parts. So you have like 15 guys on their injury list that say right leg. And everyone's like, what's going on with the right leg? And you're like, it's not the right injury. Like there's an upper right leg. There's a lower right leg. There's a medium right leg. Um, You know, uh, so there's a running joke there with some of our, our uh, viewers, our readers on, on that note. But then, uh, but really, so Rand's out for the year, and he's just a big, strong guy at 270 and could hold his own. And, you know, I was more confident with that. And then they had Isaiah Loudermilk, uh, who's a redshirt sophomore, 6'7", about 300. He could be back around Big Ten season. They, they don't know. They're hoping for a couple of games. Like, talking to him during media day a couple of weeks back, he was – it's a cloudy timeline when he could return. I don't think he'll be around uh, – I don't want to say – speculate too much, but – it's just cloudy when he's going to return. Like you hope he, re- for Badger fans, do you want him to return for Iowa because that's going to be a physical game that they're going to need a big guy like that. Uh, they had to convert a four-star prep offensive lineman, Caden Lyles, to in defensive end. So they have a 323-pound defensive end with a 342-pound nose guard, and then you know now they have Matt Henningsen, who's about uh, a walk-on, getting first-team reps of that defensive line, uh, who's about. 280-ish and about 6'3". So it's going to be a kind of a bigger line for them. So, I mean, if they can hold up and find a rotation and then get Loudermilk healthy, that's going to be the big 
uh, in my opinion, that 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 position itself is the X factor. If they can find guys to plug those holes for Edwards and Conley and Van Ginkle and Bond and, and just make play and they allow those backers to make plays, this defense will be top ten easily. Uh, and it'll be you know, and then allow those that secondary to make some plays and f- fly around, as Ryan Conley told me a couple you know last week. But I mean, if not, I mean that, that could spell some trouble, uh, especially on the road. But you know, I've never doubted Jimmy Leonard as defensive coordinator or as an NFL or Wisconsin football player back in his days, uh, back in the mid 2000s or early to mid 2000s. So I would say, you know, like, yeah, I'd say best case, uh, you know, 12 and 0, worst case, 9 and 3. Uh, and I could see a bunch of different scenarios play out like that. Jake, tell our uh, listeners if they could find you on the internet. Yeah, uh, you just heard me ramble for a heck of a long time. I tend to do that on podcasts, so apologies, <laughs> folks. Uh, you can a- ask our friends Adam Jacoby and Patrick Vent about that. Uh, people gave them a lot of sh- uh, a lot of crap about that uh, back okay. uh, last last year. So, thank you, uh, <laughs> Virgin ears, Virgin ears. Um, yeah, you guys can follow follow me on Twitter at Jake Coco K O C O B five Q. Uh, and also follow, of course, Bucky's Fifth Quarter on Twitter at B5Q. We're also on Instagram because I'm taking photos during practice, trying to be a little different from everybody else. So that's fun. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, make sure you guys follow us there. Thanks for having me on, man. Not a problem. Jay Korkorowski, thank you very much. So to wrap things up, I hope that gets you all uh, excited for the second half of the schedule before we get there, Penn State has to beat Appalachian State this weekend and get through the first half of what should be a really, really difficult but fun and entertaining schedule. Hope you all enjoyed this series. Hope you all subscribe on the various platforms where you can do that. You like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you keep reading the site, you keep supporting the site. Make sure, if you have not, to go buy one of our whiteout shirts. Head to the Twitter account for more information. $25 for a shirt, $27 for a double XL. Free shipping if you use BOSU as the code. Make sure you go check that out. And again, as always, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.